Hello, friends. I'm Wayne Shepherd, encouraging you to listen to this teaching on the Reformation by Paul Scharf. Paul is a church ministries representative for the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry serving in the Midwest. He has a lifelong passion for understanding the Reformers and the impact they made through the Gospel. His fascination for these subjects was fueled even further by the opportunity to take a Reformation tour of Germany in 2017, the 500th anniversary of its beginning under Martin Luther. You can find all of Paul's ministry resources, including sermons, lectures, and columns on many different topics at sermonaudio.com pscharf. Right now, Paul comes with a study that will transport you back to the time of the Reformation. We want to hit a couple of things that I said I would cover. And I don't want to end on a down note, and I don't think we will before we're all done, so stick with us. But we're going to talk about the dark side of the Reformation. Basically, it's kind of two sides of a coin. First, Lutheran persecution of the Anabaptists. And Lutzer puts this in his book. More Anabaptist Christians were martyred after the Reformation than Christians who died in the early persecutions of Rome. Now that term Anabaptist covers a wide swath of people who are not even all coherently united. They're just people who somehow believe in adult baptism or baptism by immersion, baptism upon profession of faith of some kind. Now, uh, Luther certainly did persecute if we want to use that term, Anabaptists. Uh, we might say prosecute <laughs> in, other, in, in the sense of, we talked about in the previous hour, Luther could not envision anything outside of an orderly Christian state, a Lutheran state. Now, he was thankful for the freedom to take it from a Catholic state to a Lutheran state. He's not really interested in anyone taking his Lutheran state and doing something else with it. He's not really looking to extend that same grace to others. That's really going to take till Roger Williams in Rhode Island. You know, <laughs> we realize this takes time. We want to understand Luther in his context. Doesn't excuse anything he did wrong, uh, but we certainly do want to understand what exactly was going on. Here's a man named Fritz Erbo. We talked about him just briefly on Sunday. He was a, he was a farmer who refused to have his children baptized. Well, what happens if you don't have your children baptized in a Christian state? They're not members of the state. So therefore, how, how are we going to tax them? How are we going to draft them into military service to fight the Turks who are coming on from the east to overthrow uh, Western civilization? And by the way, uh, Luther goes to bed every night, puts his head on the pillow, and realizes I, the power is, uh, it's incumbent upon me. I was born into a Christian ordered society and I could leave chaos behind me if I make the wrong move. So see, these are some of the things, and by the way, how would we have done if, with all that if we were in Luther's shoes, you see? Well, not to excuse it, not to say it was right, but uh, Lutheran authorities had Fritz Erba imprisoned here in Eisenach, and not far from the Bach house, really. Bach wasn't there yet, of course, but uh, kind of a nice prison when you uh, look at it, as prisons go for that day anyway. And, and uh, Fritz Erba, this Baptist farmer who refused to have his children baptized, stayed there, as you might see, from 1533 to 40, 
And he was preaching to people through the window on the street. So they took him from there and they took him to the south tower of the Wartburg Castle. Interestingly, ironically, the Wartburg Castle. This man who read and believed the New Testament that Luther translated and wanted to practice it to the fullest degree is now imprisoned in the Wartburg Castle. Isn't that quite ironic? Drowned down into this horrendous, awful, disgusting dungeon beneath the South Tower, about 30 feet below uh, the level where we're standing there is Dr. James White standing at this little cage where you would fall into that soup about 30 feet below. And there he stayed for, I can't even believe this, for eight years until he died. I mean, how how many of us would last a month (laughs) down in that disgusting area and we say lord what do we do with this i mean well there's two models for the church the state church model and the free church model luther early on dabbled with the idea of a free church and he realized the only way you could ever have a pure church would be to have a free church with voluntary membership voluntary baptism but if you have a free church you don't have a state church And if you don't have a state church, you don't have an ordered Christian society, and that's not possible. So he had the thought, and he had the afterthought, and that was the end of it. And that's all he could fathom doing in his life. Remember, he's coming out of a thousand years in which this is the only way anyone has ever conceived of the church. Now, the other side of the coin with Luther's treatment of the Anabaptists, which is inexcusably horrible we understand that but we want but we do want to understand why how what we can learn from what actually happened again Luther is not a comic book character he made some just tremendous mistakes in his life but think of this if you want the guy who can stand at Worms in the face of absolute power fueled by demonic evil and say I will not recant if you want that guy you're going to get a guy with some other corresponding negative just like each of us right oftentimes our strengths and our weaknesses are maybe different parts of the same spectrum right Luther and anti-semitism this is a this is an anachronistic use of the term. There was, there was no talk of anti-Semitism in Luther's day. But just because that's the way people frame it, I use that term here, might not be the best way to say it. We talked about the Judensau at the St. Mary's Town Church in Wittenberg where Luther preached. That was very, very common in Luther's day, and it had been there for hundreds of years. There was discussion after the Holocaust, should we go through Germany and erase and remove all these uh, such artworks, anti-Jewish art of such kinds. And the decision was made, no, we will leave them in place for the sake of history that all may learn what has happened. And then underneath the church, there's now a Holocaust remembrance uh, marker there in the spot. Um, Luther didn't put this artwork up nor did he take it down luther is in a stream of anti-jewish thought that has ruled europe for hundreds of years 
and will continue and will ultimately bear fruit in the Holocaust. And sadly, Luther said some horrendous things that cannot be excused, that are absolutely horrible, that even if they were misused or taken out of context, shame on Martin Luther that they could even be used by the Nazi regime. And the worst of all of it is embodied in his book of 1543 on the Jews and their lies. And this is a book that he writes to talk about his frustration, his disappointment, that the Jewish people had not believed the gospel. And he says, what shall we as Christians do? And these words are almost too horrible to read. But we need to learn from them. He said, what shall we as Christians do with this rejected and condemned people, the Jews? I shall give you my sincere advice. First, to set fire to their synagogues or schools and to bury and cover with dirt whatever will not burn so that no man will ever again see a stone or cinder of them. This is to be done in honor of our Lord and of Christendom, an ordered Christian society. Because you see, the Jewish people like the Anabaptists have this in common. They don't baptize their children. How do you... How do you bring these people into society? Well, the answer in medieval Europe tends to be you don't. You just kill them, get rid of them. Now, if the Holocaust had never happened, we would read these words and say, Luther can have an acid tongue and an acid pen, and he's an equal opportunity uh, you know, offense giver. But the fact is the Holocaust did happen. And these words look prophetic because they were used by the Nazis. And this is terrible. Uh, Hitler said, by warding off the Jews, I am fighting for the Lord's work. And he used Luther and quoted him and dug up these quotes which were basically lost to history before that time, by the way. But I want to tell you something positive before we go. This is not the whole story. Uh, Here's Dr. Carl Truman, a Luther scholar and a historian. He says, what I'm going to articulate is an extremely useful general principle for when it comes to doing history, and it is this. The conventional doesn't really need to be explained. Luther's 1543 book on the Jews and their lies does not really need to be explained because it is part of the stream of anti-Jewish thought that has been flowing, bursting through Europe for hundreds of years and will continue. Luther had become disenchanted with the Jewish people because of what we're going to see in a moment, that he had actually, through the majority of his ministry earlier in his life, done the unconventional and extended grace to the Jewish people in a remarkable way. But nobody knows anything about that because he ruined his legacy on this issue at the end of his life. He did treat them like others in his, in his horribly pointed writings, his insults of them. But he also thought something else that we're going to see. He thought the Reformation was going to usher in the end of the world and the end time revival. And he thought the Jewish people were going to be the first to receive the gospel and the Reformation. And so when they didn't, he was super disappointed And he also came to accept a ridiculous conspiracy theory of the day called the blood libel. 
the Jewish people would take Christian children, kill them, and drink their blood. Horrible and weird as that sounds, it was widely accepted and promoted. And I also think, and this does not excuse Luther in any way, but I also think that by 1543, in those final years, if a modern-day doctor could have examined Luther, perhaps he had Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, or something else. As a result, in part of all the abuse he had heaped on his body in his years in the monastery, and perhaps he was even losing his mind. But you see, earlier, this is something you've never heard of. And oh, would to God it were the only legacy he had with regard to the Jewish people. But in 1523, Luther wrote a book called Jesus Christ Was Born a Jew. And he said, I hope that if one deals in a kindly way with the Jews and instructs them carefully from Holy Scripture, Many of them will become genuine Christians and turn again to the faith of their fathers, the prophets, and patriarchs. I would request and advise that one deal gently with them and instruct them from Scripture. Then some of them may come along. He said the apostles were Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. If the apostles had dealt with us as Gentiles the way we deal with some of the Jewish people, he said I wouldn't be a Christian either. We need to be kind to the Jewish people. We need to love them. We need to share the gospel with them. Carl Truman says this book is the one that's fascinating because it's such a decisive break with the conventions of the day. But again, remember, by 1543, Luther, who said, I hope the last day will not be long delayed, not over 100 years, he thought surely the Reformation meant the end of the world had come. I very believe, believe that the judgment day is at the door, he said, though men are thinking least about it. It appears to me as if the world itself are approaching its end, and as the psalmist says, is waxing old, and he expressed his hope that Christ would return surely by 1544. And when the Jewish people didn't seem to get on board with this plan, he got incredibly bitter and angry at them. And you see some markers around Germany talking about this horrible book that he wrote in 1543 and the horrible sermon he preached in the town where he was born, where he also uh, died, ironically, in Eisleben, where he preached his final four sermons just days before he died in the third of the four sermons, much like this horrible book against the Jewish people. Too bad uh, Luther forgot and his conscience was dulled to the importance of the Jewish people from the very book of Romans that he had devoted his life to, which says, don't be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. You know, there was a man that uh, was with Luther, even at the Marburg Colloquy in 1529, which we haven't covered, Andreas Osiander probably never heard of him, one of the great uh, uh, unknown figures of history, a Lutheran follower. His son became a Lutheran pastor and Bible commentator, and he was a devotee of Luther, except he was very upset by Luther's arrogance toward the Jewish people. And he wrote a pamphlet. He was so scared to have it published, he put it in the drawer for 11 years, then pulled it out and had it published, I believe, anonymously against this blood libel and against this arrogance toward the Jewish people. 
And he's saying, in essence, this is ridiculous, what you're saying about the Jewish people. We've got to love them. We can't be arrogant. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. Do not become proud, but fear. What do we say about the Reformation as we close here? And we've only been through part of it. Uh, just remember, not many wise according to the flesh were chosen. If we were holding an election for who should lead the Reformation, never choose Luther, would we? We'd want him there, but we wouldn't have him leading the whole movement. We'd want Wycliffe doing it. I mean, if we could have all these guys at the same time and hold an election, you know. What does God say through the Apostle Paul? Not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble are called. God's chosen the weak. You know, he's chosen so that he can receive the glory. What do we do with Martin Luther? He has some, there's, we end with some conundrums, don't we? If you try to stay awake tonight until you put Martin Luther all together in a logical box, you're not going to get much sleep tonight. Well, I think there's a biblical correlation with one man. I think the biblical character who we would use to explain and illustrate Luther is the Apostle Peter. You know, impetuous is the word we often associate with him wild and fiery you know he can say one thing here and one thing there and the the same the same spirit that leads him to say the most amazing thing lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life all men can forsake you i'll not deny you you are the christ the son of the living god but you want that guy who can do that there's some other things that go with him just like with luther in fact, one of my friends put it this way. Luther and Peter. Luther said and did some awful things. We haven't even gone into some of them. He made some colossal mistakes outside of what we've even discussed. But you know one thing he never did? Never would have done is deny Jesus. What about Peter? Three times. I mean, he was doing really well, saying, Lord, all men can deny you. I'll never deny you. Until a little girl came up to him in the courtyard and said, boo. And he just about jumped out of his skin. And then another one came. And they said, you were with Jesus. And he took an oath and said, I do not know the man. And then a little later, those who stood by, Matthew 26, 73, came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. And he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. You really want Peter? Well, Peter had the benefit of going on for many more decades, and we see what God did in his life. But you have the one, you have the other with Peter and with Luther. And Luther being dead still speaks to us. We still need to listen and learn. And I trust that this series has helped you to do that, perhaps to begin to do that. And may God use it for his glory alone. Father, we thank you for this time we've had together and we pray that you will use and bless these thoughts that we've been able to spend time on and we praise you, Lord, and thank you for all that you did 
that we continue to enjoy, beginning with the Protestant Reformation 505 years ago. In Jesus' name, amen.